Welcome to episode 100 of the Sleeper in the Bust podcast brought to you by Fangraphs. You know, I feel like I should have a gift. I mean, you made it to 100. I haven't been here for all 100, but this is number 100. Yay! We hit the century mark. Big celebration. So uh, thanks for people's patience with the sound. Uh, This should sound much better. I have a brand new microphone. So thanks to Ed, who tweeted tweeted at me on Twitter and said, hey, go get the Samsung Go mic. This thing's fantastic. I field tested it with Paul Spore yesterday and loved it. Uh, really nice and portable, so this should be working well. Thanks for the people that have left us feedback and voting on iTunes. We were up in the top four at one point over this last week, uh, ahead of some of the football podcasts right there. It seems like everybody's preparing for fantasy baseball via podcast because you know our podcast and CBS and ESPN, they're all right there together. So uh, I guess that's the way people are preparing for drafts these days. This is the last of the team previews. We, we will be previewing the White Sox and the Yankees today. Thursday, we'll get into some more general topics. Uh, Thursday's going to be a focus on pitching. We have a lot of stuff to talk about pitching. Eno's going to be out in Arizona talking to some players while he's out there with some of the other guys at Fangraphs this weekend. I had an article on new pitches that went up on the site today that we're going to discuss on Thursday. So if you have any specific pitching questions, make sure you leave us feedback on the on the post for the when we post this up. That way we can address those at, at that time. So let's dive into it, and let's talk about the White Sox with this. And the, the biggest issue with the White Sox is over at first base with Jose Abreu. There, there's a lot of helium in Abreu. I, keep, I see him going in drafts higher and higher and higher. I think last night in a league that I did through the Fantasy Sports Writer Association, I ended up taking him. I believe I took him in the eighth round. And this is a draft that has uh, the format is on base percentage and slugging percentage rather than batting average and home runs. And I took him, and a lot of people were upset when I took him. When I took him, they were like, oh, man, I was going to take him. I can't believe you took him. And uh, so I ended up, I got him at the end of the eighth round, so pick 95 overall. Would you agree with me that he has a lot more upside than he does downside? Or are you on the other side of that argument? Um, I mean, he's such a... Uh... He, he's such an unknown that there has to be uh, a lot of downside. I mean, what's the what's the downside? The downside is, I mean, there's there's Dunn and Kernerko. The, the downside is that he just does so terribly that you know they they put him in the minors. I mean, he's never played against major league um, hitters I and mean, pitchers on a, on a regular basis. Right. But I mean, the, I I sort of doubt that downside because reports out of camp are good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's showing patience. Um, in his spring training at bat. So he's not, um, he doesn't, I don't think he, if he felt overmatched, I think he would be swinging at everything and then trying to show everybody that he could hit. Um, the fact that he's taking so many pitches in the spring, um, you know, he didn't even swing the first couple at bats, I think. So um, I, I think that uh, uh, he looks like he belongs. Um, the numbers out of, out, of, out of Cuba are fantastic. Yes. Uh, better than anybody who's ever come before. The floor seems like it's Kendry Morales. Um, and, uh, you know, Kendry Morales never hit in Chicago, uh, never hit in a cell. Yeah, he never so, hit in a good park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we don't even know what Kendry Morales in the cell looks like. And uh, I kind of use that idea, Kendry Morales in the cell. That's what I use uh, to 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 look at projections and to kind of decide what projections I believed in. Um, and basically I came up with like a 275, uh, 28, uh, kind of projection, which I think that sounds like Kendrick Morales in, in, in the cell, uh, that projection alone made me super excited about him. And we're, we're, we're publishing the top 300 as we speak right now, um, on rotographs. And, uh, I guess I was a little bit more excited than other people. I had a around, uh, 67, uh, but the consensus rank was 91, so basically right where you took him. Um, so I think already I, I agree with you that there's more upside. And that's actually, I think, 
you know, not a conservative projection because yes, there is the floor of, of not not working out at all. But it's it, you know, it's a conservative projection based on what his Cuban numbers were, because if his Cuban numbers uh, say anything, they say that he can hit for more power than than twenty eight homers. And that's the uh, thing you look at. What what kind of stood out to me is. Most of the time when we go to the projections part of any of our player pages, the fans tend to be the more optimistic group of the projections. And in this case, Steamer loves them. 34 home runs, hitting 269, driving at 85. Fans have them where you were, 273 and 26 home runs. So it's typically the other way around. The fans are all giddy about them. But in this case, the fans are more pessimistic than Steamer. And I, I, I'm... I like this guy a lot. I, I like what I see so far. I think, like you said, Morales in the cell. I think 25 home runs is a floor. This is assuming this is assuming 475 plate appearances. If he gets that many, 25 home runs is a floor for this guy. I think that optimal ceiling could be 35 home runs. Yeah, yeah, I do think so. Um, I mean, I think uh, the cell has helped done you know continue to hit 40 out as he's aged um and uh we, we saw what it did for Canerco. um so i think uh i think he's in an ideal situation and i think that uh i'm surprised that the helium hasn't taken over for him because he's the just the kind of guy i mean if you look at tanaka tanaka's going up and up in drafts um and i don't think that abreu's got that same helium yet so maybe it takes uh one of those spring training highlights where he hits three bombs in one game and then everyone's like, "Oh my God, I gotta go draft him!" And then he'll start just just zooming up the uh, draft list. Right. When, uh, when I go, th- when I think back to Cespedes, I mean, there was a lot of helium and Cespedes coming out of that spring, and I remember getting him for fifteen dollars in AL Tout Wars. And this was not like end game that I had the most money. This was like early on. He just kind of came up, and I was like fifteen, and nobody went any higher. I'm like, okay, thanks. Uh, and uh, he did very well for me that year. Yeah, and I think. I think it looks like a, a, a situation that's that there's value in there. I mean, I like um, I like uh, I like him. I like him especially around ninety. I still like him around seventy. Um, if you're talking first five rounds, um, then you're talking helium a little bit. He might still be worth it, but um, there are a lot of good first. There are a lot of good people in that first fifty, sixty players. So um, if you can get him out of the top first five rounds, then I think you got to go get him. I agree. Let's move over to third base. And as the old adage goes, if you have five names, you have no names. And the third base situation for the White Sox is rather crowded. They have, they traded for Matt Davidson. They have Connor Gillespie. They have Jeff Kepinger. Of these three, who do you think wins this job? And are, and whoever wins it, are they even draftable in mixed league format? You know, I'm betting on Davidson. Um, I think that the power of of being the new guy in camp, being the acquisition. I think, um, you know, the, the team looks like it's rebuilding um, or at least looking to the future, but not like far future. I think that they're looking to the future as in let's get all these players in one place, put them out there and see what they've got. You know, like a little bit what the Astros did. I think they'll give Davidson at least, you know, 200 plate appearances to see how often he strikes out, to see how bad he is right. uh, with the, the third and, you know, Gillespie and Kepinger are just low-ceiling guys. Those are the kind of guys that can be your worst starter on a championship team if everything else is going well. Uh, but they're not the kind of guys that you build around, that you that you sort of look to the future with. So um, I do think that they'll give Davidson the job out of camp, and, um, you know, we'll know a month and a half into the season what happens. Hey, this is an example we were talking about earlier. You look at the projections for him, fans – 15 home runs, hitting 250 with 61 RBI. Steamer's like, no, 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 no. Half the plate appearances, nine home runs, hitting 229. It's tough to overlook the strikeout rates for Davidson all throughout the minor leagues. They were below league average, except for one, the stint in double-A. Even a 21.9% is still going to be a little low for double-A. But that was his best season as far as strikeout rate was 21.9%. Last year was 26.8 at Triple A, was 27.6 with the Diamondbacks and 87 plate appearances. That's got to be holding back a little bit. The same kind of argument applies. Davidson has power. Cell can help him there, but there's limited upside. And with the competition there in play, there could be even more downside because one of the th- names I didn't mention here is somebody that I'm keeping my eye on because of some flexibility, and that's Marcus Simeon. 
Marcus Simeon's a guy that has, in the minor leagues last year, hit 19 home runs, stole 24 bases, uh, had a good contact rate, also a good walk rate, hit for average, and can play multiple positions, can play second, can play short, can play third. I think that versatility, and he looked well, he looked good in the Arizona Fall League when we were out there and we saw him. I think that flexibility may help him sneak in there at, at the end. And if somebody fails at third base, maybe they put him over there at third base because he has the arm strength for it. And, and I'm just keeping an eye on him where they're going to, if he makes the camp, I think he makes a very interesting AL-only middle infield pick or a corner infield pick, depending on how your league treats his qualification. <clears throat> Pardon me, but I think that's somebody to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, um, you know, I I, I I like him a lot. He's a, he's a local product here out of Oakland. Um, he, you know, the, one of the things I like about him is that he's just um, unheralded, uh, you know, never really made his way onto uh, the top prospect list. And yet, you know, he really just outperformed expectations at, on, sort of in every way. I mean, he, he uh, walked uh, more than he struck out in double A, had above average power, stole 20 bases. I mean, it's like, it's, it all looks good. The only question mark um, really is what his major league strikeout rate is going to be. Yeah, he was overmatched and, last year. Yeah, it was pretty poor last year. Um, and you just look at that 1% walk rate against 31% strikeout rate, and you just know. But, you know, it was a pretty small sample, 70 plate appearances, and it doesn't really fall in line with his minor league work. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a little worrisome that he went, then went on to the AFL. He got his walk rate back, but he still struck out 26% of the time. So um, I'm a little – I'm wondering what the true talent strikeout rate is. But uh, he's still a guy with power and speed, and he's super flexible. I mean, he's playing shortstop in, in the spring right now. He played it in the AFL. I thought that might have been just a random – AFL has this weird thing where you have draft slots mm-hmm. per team. You know, the White Sox had a slot for a shortstop. But – Maybe they wanted to have a slot for shortstop because they put Simeon in it and he did okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's a shortstop, but the thing that I worry about is um, that I think they want him to be a middle infielder more than a third baseman. And um, I think that the way that this team is set up, they're going to go into camp with Alexei Ramirez. They're going to leave camp with Alexei Ramirez and Gordon Beckham as starters. I don't think they're going to. I think both of those guys are trade chips. And I think that whoever plays better, whoever gets more um, interest on the trade market, uh, whoever returns more um, or, or doesn't sign an extension, you know, there's, some, there's something there where something will happen in the middle infield. They'll start out with Beckham and, and, and Alexi, and then they'll, I think they'll leave Simeon in, in the minors, and then they'll, uh, they'll ship one of those guys out there, and Simeon will, will take over for him. That's... That's my personal uh, my personal theory. I have talked to a couple of the beat writers uh, for the White Sox, and they they kind of agree with that idea. So um, I, it's kind of it's it's hard to bank on that. I think Simeon is a dynasty acquisition uh, where you have a farm team or or a deep bench for your dynasty. He does. He will qualify at third base to draft. That's where he had most of his playing time last year. And the limited by standard roto rules, third base is where he's going to qualify. So keep that in mind when you draft him. You mentioned trade chips, and that's the next thing I want to get into because there were plenty of rumors this week with the the White Sox putting out feelers that they are willing to listen to offers on Diane, Diane Vicieto or Alejandro de Aza. We have Adam Eaton and Wright in center field, who they clearly like when they trade, you know, when they give up uh, Addison Reed for. You have Avisail Garcia in right field, who they like and a lot of people like this year. And you look over in left field, they have Deaza that they moved off of center because they weren't crazy about his defense last year, nor his uh, base running, ran into a lot of outs. And then you have Vicieto who's coming off a disappointing year, even though he's only 25 years old. It seems like there were trade rumors with the Twins who are looking for an outfielder. There were some with the White, with the Mariners that were looking for an outfielder. The Phillies are on record looking for a left-handed bat for their outfield. So it seems like one of these guys will get traded if they don't, let's assume they don't, and they and they hold Vicieto and they hold Diazza. Do you see a straight platoon coming out, or do you see just Diazza moving around the outfield? Who do you think whose value gets impacted most if a trade doesn't happen? You know, when I asked uh, Rick Hahn about this in the winter meetings, he was emphatic that Adam Eaton was his starting center fielder, and it's it's a little bit of what colors my idea that Matt Davidson is the starting third baseman because. Uh, it seems like Rick Hahn identified some people he wanted and he went out and got them. So, um, you know, I, I, 
I believe him when he says that. I know that they lie all the time. <laughs> um, but uh, I sort of believe him when he says that. And he said um, that, and then I didn't believe the second thing he said, which was, um, oh, we'd be fine with going into the season with, an, with, a, Daza, with a platoon with the guys we have. So Daza uh, against righties and Vicieto against lefties. He'd be fine with that, um, but I don't think it's ideal, for, especially for a team like this. That would be a really high-end platoon, um, and although they're cheap players, it, it probably would make more utility for some, like someone who can get more utility out of Diazza than a platoon player, I think. Um, there's somebody out there that'll start him in center. There's somebody out there that won't platoon him. There's somebody out there that'll pay uh, you know, retail prices for that, that sort of player where he can go and get someone to platoon with Viciedo and be fine. So I think that therefore that it's Diazza that's going to go. Um, he's the one that you're hearing in, 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 um, in rumors. And I think that the place that makes the most sense is probably the twins. Yes. Uh, if they pony up because Presley's no good. Um, Willingham's fourth aged. Yeah. Willingham's aged. Uh, and, um, you know, Buxton's not ready yet. And uh, and Aaron Hicks is a total question mark. So um, I think you know I think he'll go eventually, but I'm not willing to you know you know spend a lot on that bet um, because the 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 worst outcome, the floor for Deaza is that he only plays two thirds of the time, and he doesn't have the kind of stats that will stand up to two thirds playing time. I mean, if he plays two thirds of the time, he's going to hit you know eight or nine homers and steal you know like twelve bases. And it's just going to be a very light package uh, for anything other than only league. Yeah, and when, when you look at these guys, the other thing to keep in mind here is, you know, there's there's no playing time at DH. With Adam Dunn and Paul Konerko essentially splitting that duty up, uh, with Dunn getting more of the playing time, but Konerko's around for the insurance policy there at first base. But that's going to be where most of your DH plate appearances go. So the loser here is definitely going to sit the bench. Now, I've got my own, selfishly, I've got Vicieto for $10 in, a, in a, my AL home league. Uh, with inflation going on, and I'm watching this. If, if there's no trade, and my keepers are due this weekend, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep Vicieto because I don't think he can earn that money if he's stuck in a platoon situation with him. Uh, so that's where I'm watching that. But it's tough to, for a guy that hit the, with the power. He's got good raw power. I've seen him, you know, I've seen him take it off the, the party deck in, in Tropicana Field out left center, the Captain Morgan deck out there. And I've, the only other guy I've seen hit one out there is Willie Mopena. I mean, it's a bomb. Vicieto's got a lot of raw power. He just struggled last year, but at 25, it's hard to give up on that kind of raw power. I guess people are worried that they'll never really figure out righties. Um, but uh, I think he, he had a decent year against righties last year. And um, I agree with you on the power. Bad play discipline, but there are plenty of players that have made that package work. Um, you know, and uh, I just I worry that other people don't think that he's necessarily an outfielder. Uh, maybe he's an outfielder for the short term, but not the long term. So um, I, I think that they're going to end up holding on to him because um, they're willing to play him in the outfield because they're willing to play Matt Davidson a third. Um, you know, so I think that there's um, th- th- I think that they're not going to get much for him. And so therefore, I think it's the odds that it's gone. Yeah, I agree. Let's look at a pitching staff. Chris Sale, we have no problem with. This is a young pitching staff, so maybe if they do trade Dowser, they try to get a pitcher back because we're talking about a pitching staff that's going to be the back end of it. It's guys like a recovering Felipe Paulino, Eric Johnson, who's got some serious splits issue, a recovering John Danks. But one of the names that keeps popping up late in the drafts that I've been in is Jose Quintana. You look at Quintana, his strikeout rate, one of the things that really stood out last year, his strikeout rate jumped over five full percentage points from a well below average 14.3 to uh, just at starter league average of 19.7. That was there, and the second half was strong for him. One of the things that, that kind of gives me a little bit of pause for him, innings pitch total went from 136 to 200. That's a big jump for a guy that's only 25 years old. Where are your thoughts on Jose Quintana? Um, you know, he's a, he's a really interesting guy because he was released by the Yankees, so um, total – you know, scout team find here. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, when you look at his, his pitch type peripherals, um, he's got a very interesting package where there's nothing that really stands out as elite. Right. Um, and his curve uh, is basically a strikeout pitch and curves are bad strikeout pitches because people don't swing at them very much and they don't have a, a real high whiff rate. Um, but at the same time, 
um, you know, the curve, uh, the sinker, um, and the cutter all have great, uh, even his changeup, they all have great, uh, ground ball rates. So, um, or not great. I mean, good ground ball, rates. So he's a good, good ground ball guy. And even if the changeup doesn't get a lot of whiffs, it does get a lot of ground balls. And so he's kind of a safe, I think he's kind of safe. I and mean, it's kind of weird to say that about a guy who wasn't, um, you know, who, who nobody wanted and was released at some point, mm-hmm. uh, People think uh, he was like kind of a flash in the pan. But looking at his just at his pitches, his his four seamer above average whiffs, uh, his sinker above average ground balls, his changeup uh, average ground balls, curve above average whiffs, and average ground balls. So it's just like average across the board. So I guess you know worst case scenario for him is league average, which you know that would be kind of crappy for a mixed league. But um, I see enough there with the curveball and the cutter, and the fastball. I think he's got enough going on to be a, a fantasy player this year. What impresses me is is the fastball. You look at his results last year. I'm looking at it, the, the outcomes against his fastball. His weighted on-base average, his on-base average, his slugging against, batting average, all those components were all in the top 12th percentile on fastballs. Now, if you watch him pitch, he doesn't seem like he has that kind of fastball, but he gets good results on it. Strikeout rates in the top 10%. Uh, the home run rates right about league average on fastballs. He gets good swings and misses on that fastball. So that's one of the things that stands out to me. I ended up taking him in that same draft I mentioned earlier. He was my final pick off the bench. 12-team league with quality starts instead of wins. I grabbed him as my final pick of the draft in 28, 28th round is where I ended up grabbing him. I, I was surprised that he was still out there because I think for a number two pitcher, I think there's some upside um, there for him. The rest of that depth chart... A pitching depth start I don't really want to touch I've been a John Danks fan in the past but I need to see him working with more velocity Eric Johnson really has reliever splits but he's being forced into the starting role he needs something to get lefties out and Paulino you know we've been down this road before the velocity can be there but the command can't be there um, and durability is a problem for him any disagreement there no I don't uh I don't really have any um you know, I think there's a little bit of uh, a chance with uh, with Eric Johnson. Um, in some ways, he has the the Quintana package. Just uh, uh, you know, it's funny because he he throws his fastball faster um, and it gets a little bit more movement even, um, but it's not as good as as Quintana. So maybe Quintana has some sort of deception that's working for him because otherwise, um, I'm seeing a lot of the same things: 50% ground balls from the change, you know, good curve. Uh, good cutter. So um, I guess that he has a chance of, of being Quintana if he can uh, figure out the fastballs a little bit. And uh, that is something I worry about when I do these pitch type things. Mm-hmm. It, I, I I look at, you know, whiff rates and stuff, and I usually look at the curve and the change and stuff. But um, I'm doing some research on this right now. The fastball is really important. And, you know, if, if a guy has a bad fastball that doesn't get enough whiffs and doesn't go fast enough or doesn't have enough movement, um, that that pitch is going to be he's going to throw that pitch like 40 50 percent of the time at the very least and um, so in this case I'm unsure about Eric Johnson's fastball and that's something worth watching indeed let's shift to the bullpen where a guy who doesn't have an uncertain fastball Nate Jones now takes over the closing role Nate Jones uh, definitely displayed the skills behind Addison Reed you look at strikeout rate for him, nearly jumped seven full percentage points to a slightly above league average for relievers, 21.6%, to a well above average, 28.3% last year. He takes over the role. If he were to hiccup, let's say something does go wrong with him, it doesn't work out, he, maybe maybe he can't handle it back there. Who do you look at? Do we look at the veteran Matt Lindstrom or the impressive rookie Daniel Webb uh, as his potential backup? Uh, I think I'm going. Uh, I'm going with uh, with Matt Lindstrom. I think um, you know there's just there's more questions about Webb and uh, Lindstrom. You know, I think that for me it's like Nate Jones's job, and if it's not Nate Jones's job, then he's hurt. And if he's hurt, it's just this glute, and they want to give him a couple more days or a week or two weeks or something. And if it's two weeks, then it's Matt Lindstrom because. Um, you know, he's done it before and we're just talking a stopgap and we just want someone to be out there for a while. Um, but I guess if it was like a year long injury to Jones or Jones really just didn't work out this year, um, maybe they'd start looking at Webb um, because they'd be looking for a longer term solution, I think. 
Concern with Lindstrom, you know, the strikeout rate's never been a strong suit of his. Last year it was 17-7, which is uh, a few average, a few points below average for a reliever. It's been his best was a 20% in 2012, but he's pretty much been a 17-ish percent strikeout guy over the past five seasons. You know, you've talked in the past about you know the lack of swing and miss is one of your things when you're looking at closers. So let's say the Jones thing was more than just a short-term situation. We're talking AL only here, reserve picks. You're looking maybe you maybe you drafted Addison Reed, and you're looking at one of these guys if you if you want to handcuff. Does that change your mindset, or you're still going to go with the veteran? Um, I'm still going to go with the veteran. I mean, he, he throws 97, um, and velocity was actually uh, in that equation. It was velocity and swinging strikes, so he has half the equation. Um, and um, you know, I just think that uh, I think it's Nate Jones. I don't. I hate to get too wrapped up in a guy, but I think it's Nate Jones's job. And so, um, you know, if it's Lindstrom, it's just a short-term thing. I mean, um, you know, Webb has a good slider mm-hmm. uh, and a and a good sinker, um, and he throws ninety-six. So, uh, you know, this is. You got to have a divining rod, and, and you're looking for freaking gold. I mean, it's freaking closers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I would say is, if I was in a deep dynasty, I'd rather want Daniel Webb. If I was handcuffing in like a mixed league, I'd rather have Matt Lindstrom. Fair point. Let's move over to a team that's loaded with veterans, and that's the New York Yankees, who uh, went back to their old roots and spent a bunch of money and loaded up the roster, uh, and. There's some interesting situations going in play here. Let's start with the infield. And Kelly Johnson's going to play third base now that A-Rod is suspended for the season. I don't know. Personally, I don't know how that's going to work out. I like Kelly Johnson as a fantasy player because he has pop and he can still run. I, I think there's, there is honestly a 20 home run, 10 steals season in his future this year if he can stay in the lineup long enough. My concern is I don't know how he can play third base. I only saw him. He only has about 100 innings of experience at it. Uh, at the major league level. I saw him play it with the Rays last year a couple of times. He can make the throws. He just doesn't have the range. He's not a very mobile guy over there. That 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 quick first step is missing. I don't know if it, but the Yankees really don't have any other options. So he may have to stay there by default. But you, what I like about Johnson from a fantasy perspective is that power-speed combination and the fact he already qualifies at outfield. He already qualifies at second base. And a week into the season, we get third base eligibility. I love these types of guys, especially in single league formats where I can move these guys around. These are the types of guys that I like getting. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like I like them a lot more in, in only leagues. Also, like head to head, I think he'll have a little added utility. Um, I, you know, I wonder he was getting platoon platoon pretty much. Like, didn't see many lefties. Is that why? He no, the other platoon? way. He was a reverse split guy. That's kind of the issue. He hits lefties better than righties. Weird. Last year he hit 291 against lefties, 218 against righties, and over a, over a five year span, 265 against lefties, 231 against uh, righties. His weighted on base average uh, is nearly even, but for as far as a batting average perspective, he's better against lefties. Yeah, that's weird. Um, you know, well the the good news is uh, here's the newest update on the player page. Johnson is likely to be the Yankees' backup at just about every infield position, <laughs> which does say something about the Yankees. But well, I think uh, that's actually you know that's a fantastic thing because that, you know it's kind of our next topic is you've got Derek Jeter and, and Brian Roberts up the middle. One of those players is coming off a major injury. The other yeah. one plays fifty games a season. So I, there's there's I, there's value in being the reserve infielder for the Yankees because there's a good chance you're going to see a good amount of playing time. Oh, you know what's funny? I just want to say one quick thing about um, the reverse platoon split. Um, you know, usually uh, if you follow the book, and I mean the book by Tango, um, he's a, he's all about, um, you know, he says the splits, we use splits too early, and that really it takes about a thousand plate, to, plate, um, plate appearances to believe a split and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, Kelly Johnson has 1,100 plate appearances against lefties, so... He's had quite a, you know, he's a pretty big sample. And he's hit 276 against lefties and 244 against righties, you know, over a large sample. So um, I don't know what it is. His batting average on balls in play against lefties is 336. It's 292 against righties. That looks like a skill to me if it's over 1,100 plate appearances. So uh, that's just one note. 
You know, another thing, though, I, I wonder, and I wish I was more of a Yankees fan uh, to answer this, but, um, you know, and Eduardo Nunez is going to be there. And I thought, um, you know, he he's ha- he's played more shortstop than um, Kelly Johnson recently. Kelly Johnson's uh, played shortstop in ages. Right. So I guess maybe he's more the shortstop backup. His His note says he's being used at second and third in addition to shortstop. Um, and, you know, he's shown little glimmers of something here or there, like, you know, something like maybe he was a true talent, you know, 250, 260 guy with uh, 25 steals if he got a full season. Right. But, you know, uh, it's hard to project him in the full season, never had it. Uh, and even with those old guys in the way, he's got Kelly Johnson in the way. But I think Eduardo Nunez is um, – overlooked in in deep leagues in sort of the same idea that um we were talking about with kelly johnson that he he'll get you know 400 plate appearances between three positions um it's just hard to know when to play him um and you'll have to stay on top of him have to be a daily league and you'll have to be uh okay with you know 265 home runs and 20 stolen bases over a full year right he he had the 22 stolen base season in 2011 when they gave him enough playing time uh 2012 injured for a lot of it. 2013 got 300, you know, got ended up getting 336 plate appearances, but just stole, you know, stole just 10 bases uh, after stealing stealing 22 two years before in just a tad board playing time. But I, I do like him as a uh, AL only reserve because again, you'll be able to move him around. Let's talk about the new guys there. We got all left-handers. We got Ellsbury, we have McCann, and we have the switch hitting Beltron who's going to spend most of his time hitting from the left side in that short porch in right field. Let's say a couple of things. We Ellsbury hit 28 home runs in Fenway a couple of years ago when he made a concerted effort to hit with more power. Now that he's got a better run environment to do so without having to try to pull the ball even more, you know, comparing the porches of Fenway and Yankee Stadium, do you see Ellsbury hitting 25-plus home runs this year? No, that, that seems like a, a aggressive um, aggressive thing because he, you know, he, he uses the opposite field. Um, very well too yeah to me it's uh brian mccann's the one who wins big um you know he in 2012 and 2013 he hit three homers the opposite way um and all the rest of them were were pulled a couple went to center field so i see him as more of a, a pull uh pull guy and um he's actually pretty decently pulled i mean his all his grounders are pulled that's that's kind of uh common but um you know he's gonna. He, I think he's gonna get the most benefit. I think Ellsbury's most benefited from. And you know when I talked to Tory Hunter about, he changed his approach and he went from hitting fly balls and homers to to hitting ground balls and 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 having a better batting average. And he said he did that on purpose because he was in the second hole and he used to be a cleanup hitter. Right. Um. And I see that happening a little bit with uh, Ellsbury. I think that they. You know. They're going to want out of him that he's a top of the lineup guy with a good batting average, gets on base and steals. So um, I think he'll hit it to all fields, and he won't he won't be such a poor guy. And uh, I think I mean I do think he'll hit like fifteen. Uh, he could hit eighteen. Uh, twenty five seems like too much. Yeah, I, I, that's where I am too. One of the things I don't see him giving up that opposite field because that's something he did so well last year. Teams would pitch him away, and he would literally just flip it over to third baseman and just drop it into short uh, short left field, and sometimes either turn those into doubles or just get on first base and steal second and make it a, a de facto double. I just thought it's something he did really well, and it made him a, a more complete hitter because you know if you pitched him inside, he'd turn and burn it. If you threw him outside. He'd just flip it over to third base. He had enough uh, enough back control where he could hit it right through the hole, right through shortstop and third base, or right over one of their heads. He did that extremely well last year. If you go back and review his, his spray charts, you'll see what I'm talking about there. So I've seen some projections where people are talking about a potential 30-30 season from him, and I think that would, would involve a change in approach going back to what he did in 2012 and just trying to pull everything. Now, I mean, the stadium is conducive to that, it may it may create some other risk with his batting average or whatnot, maybe some more strikeouts. But I do agree with you. I think McCann's the big bene- uh, beneficiary here. Beltron he always uses all fields anyways, but Bel- uh, McCann's the big pull hitter here, and I think this will work out really well for him. And I'm uh, 
Fantasy-wise, I'm excited to see what it's going to do. Uh, as an AL East fan, I, I'm not excited. I, I like seeing last year's Chris Stewart and Frankie Cervelli platoon uh, or you know, the other guys that were in play because they, they could do nothing offensively. This will be a better situation. The other guy that's kind of affected in all this, Alfonso Soriano, is now going to be pretty much primarily the DH with this club. But they've also said they want to keep McCann in the lineup as much as possible so you can see him getting DH time as well. One of the things I've noticed about Soriano and Durant, he keeps falling. I've seen him fall two, three, even four rounds past his ADP in doing some of the mock drafts and, and real drafts over the past few weeks. Why do you think he's falling like this? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think people don't believe in the 18 steals. Um, they, you know, I wonder if there wasn't um, some, you know, sort of motivation factor there. Uh, he probably saw you know, his way out of, uh, out of Chicago at some point and started stealing bases. I mean, you know, he stole since 2009, he stole nine, five, two, six. And in the first half with the Cubs this year, he stole 10. So I think, um, some of that was like, you know, I need to get out of here. <laughs> he pulled, he pulled a hundred pence and pulled a double digit stolen base season out of thin air. I mean, hundred pence had the same kind of trend that all of a sudden, boom, here we go. It wasn't like no, he was playing for it. I mean, Hunter Pence was looking at it for a new deal, but not Soriano. Yeah, but I think it was, let, let me get the hell out of here. Like, let me show everybody I still got it and, and get out of here. So um, I, I think, uh, you know, I might regress past the projections or giving him credit for that and giving him 11, 12, 17 stolen bases. I would regress harder than that and give him eight or nine. Um, but... Uh, I mean, he's really looking legit in terms of power. Um, I mean, he always has, but he's 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 main, maintaining that you know, deep into his age. And there was a little bit of blip early on at the Cubs where he wasn't hitting 30, but um, it's hard to, to, to regress him much past the high 20s. So, you know, I guess, you know, the steamer projections have him hitting 233, and that's what people are worried about. But uh, he hasn't ever hit 233 right i mean his worst season was in 09 when he hit 241 his most his most recent worst season but you know 25 plus home runs three consecutive seasons from a skills perspective the walk rate and the strikeout rates are extremely stable and that's the, that's the beauty of owning veterans is you don't see many uh, much fluctuation there and that's where we're at with him he's had some batted ball fluctuation uh, 266 at a low end 303 on a high end that's where he's been but these are st- even if he doesn't run we're still talking about a guy that's going to hit 25 plus home runs he's still going to drive in 85 plus he's still going to score 80 runs hitting 260 and yet he's the 33rd outfielder off the board. He's gone up. And for a while there, he was down in the low 40s, almost 50. So he's gone up. His ADP right now is 124, whereas I remember it uh, four or five weeks ago, he was much lower than this. But, you know, he's going – I'm looking at him. He's going 15 picks, a uh, full round behind Dominic Brown. I would rather have Soriano than Dominic Brown. You? No, I mean, he was still born in 1976, so – just for this year, uh, just one year. Yeah, I just think in terms of like plate appearances. I mean, that's the one thing I was going to say is like, you know, I went and looked at the ages for Beltron and and um, and and Soriano, and Beltron's actually a year younger, which is crazy to me because um, I think of Beltron as a as a playing time risk this year. And I know somebody might scoff and say, well, he's hit, he's basically had six hundred plate appearances three years in a row. Yeah, you know, he had microfracture surgery. His knees are not looking good. DH will help him, but, you know, if the knee starts barking again, it's not – you can't just DH him. I mean, he might have to take a break. So, um, you know, Soriano's been uh, healthier recently, but he had a spate, too, of where he missed time um, in his 30s. So I think both these guys, the the, the one missing p- component is is um, is – age and playing time. But um, I think they're definitely values. Uh, and, I, and though I would take Brown uh, just because I think the range of possible outcomes is is weighted a little bit higher than their projections. Like, you know, Brown's possibilities go further up. His upside is higher mm-hmm. and, and, and Soriano's downside is lower. But I do think they should be um, in the same round or, or two rounds. And if they're not, then that means Soriano is undervalued. 
Good to keep an eye on. Let's go to pitching staff. And you know, they made the big addition adding Tanaka this offseason. But it, the name value there with the Yankees is certainly there. But is the is the fantasy value there? Who do you think of uh, on this rotation is going to be the most valuable fantasy pitcher when it's all said and done? I think it might be Tanaka. Um you know, because he's not going for ace prices. And even though I'm not sure he's you Darvish, um, I think that he has a combination of skills that has been shown to work before. I think that he can really be uh, a younger Hiroki Kuroda because um, he has a little bit more gas than Kuroda, but he has the same fastball slider split combination. Um, he had a lot. He had great control. Kuroda uh, has made it work with the fastball and split and slider with great control. He's made it work in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think that a younger Hiroki Kuroda sounds pretty good to me. Um, And, you know, even if it's not an ace, he'll he'll be a a really good number two. He's going at, you know, number two, three uh, prices. So um, I'm excited for him. CC, I just saw on Twitter today, uh, and I just retweeted this, but uh, let me look for it. Uh, CC's... First, uh, last three fastballs in the first inning today went 86 miles an hour, 86 miles an hour, 85 miles an hour. Yikes. And, you know, pitchers usually get maybe a mile per hour over spring. Um, and if you if you go all the way to August, because velocities peak in August, mm-hmm. you get maybe two miles an hour, maybe two and a half between spring and August. That's on uh, as a whole. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, CC can't be different. But, um, you know, what you're looking at is, on average, a sub-90 fastball from CC this year. Um, And I was thinking that he might be a good bounce back just based on how skinny he is. But, um, you know, we know that his velocity has been dropping um, recently. And and that's not a good sign. And he did recover some last year. Yeah, he did. He recovered to, like, 91-plus. And that's still not vintage CC. And the, the results weren't vintage CC. So... Um, I'd rather buy CC as like a, a number three or four, um, you know, that might be a number two, but I, I'm not going to buy him as a guy that I think will be a number one this year. Yeah, I agree. When you look at the ADP, CC Sabathia is 204. He's the 47th starting pitcher off the board. Kuroda, somebody I'd rather have is 60. He's going uh, three full rounds behind Sabathia, whereas Tanaka is going 112. And he's the 27th. He is right behind Alex Cobb. He is ahead of the likes uh, of Shelby Miller, Julio Tehran, pre-injury Chris Medlin, Matt Moore, Danny Salazar. So that's where Tanaka is. He, uh, he's definitely uh, added some helium here in recent weeks um, with that. I I think Kuroda gets overlooked a lot. The problem with Kuroda is he fades down the stretch. Each of the past two seasons, he's crawled to the finish line. But for the first four, four and a half months, he's been really good. And, and then we get to mid-August, and then he starts tar- in September, it's just tough to watch so you know if you can get Kuroda and move him later on enjoy the first half of them I think this this skill sets are stable I would rather have Tanaka first I would take Kuroda second Sabathia worries me I mean last time his last outing he was at 89 with his fastballs but if you go back and look at the news stories from this time last year it was the same thing in spring training as you mentioned the, he got some of that velocity back so that by the summer he was looking good but if he's 85 86 now just go back to eating the Captain Crunch, put on the weight, and start throwing again because this is not good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've just, I just pulled up Hiroki Kuroda's uh, velocities over the course of a season, and uh, there's no uniform drop at the end of the season. In fact, his fastball uh, seems to peak uh, later than most in, in September or so. But, um, you know, maybe since he's built on command, uh, it can come. It can come in any different way. Um, so, you know, maybe his command suffers near the end of the season. Maybe his mechanics start to uh, fall apart a little bit. But um, yeah, his curveball definitely has been getting slower over the years. And the separation maybe that makes it obvious that the curveball is coming. But the curveball is not a big deal for him. It's not not a real, you know, thing to worry about for him. So, right. any case, um, yeah, I, I I love Kuroda at that price. Uh, for sure. And I think I would take him over CC just because, you know, he is going to be good for a while. Agreed. Uh, even if it's only four months. But 
You know, that bullpen, um, you know, has has some nice uh, names in it. It does. I mean, this, David Robertson, I think what what's unfair to him is, you know, he's replacing the legend. And I think if David if we were to take David Robertson's name out and just look at the skills and put him on another team, I think people would be more excited about him. I mean, when you look at over the last couple of seasons, you know, strikeout rates at or above 30%, really strong swing and miss rates. Kept, keeps the ball in the ballpark. A lot of good indicators here. One of the things that he uses to his advantage is he has very good extension on his release, so it plays. It makes his fastball play up. You know, concerns. The strikeout rate has gone down each of the past three seasons from 37 to 33 to 29 percent, but the walk rates have gone down from 13 to 8 to 7 percent. So there's some good signs there. A lot of people will remember the short uh, audition he had for the closer role in 2012 when Rivera was out hurt. Did not go so well. They gave the job to Soriano, who did better. You know, I, I see when I when I'm looking at how Robertson's playing out this offseason, I, I I mean, to me, I consider him a very low tier one guy. I'm a I'm a fan of his of his work and, and to see what he does. But when I look at his ADP, it's 125. He's the tenth closer off the board. He's going behind the likes of Romo, Perkins, Nathan. He's being treated like a mid tier two guy. I think he's more of a high tier two guy myself. Do you agree with me? Yeah, um, I think he's definitely a guy I'll own a lot this year. Um, I love shopping in that area. Um, I tenth closer is, is like perfect me, like eighth to tenth closer because I think there's a lot of guys who, who are moving up who just for some reason. Uh, but they, you know, I don't like to shop only in the sort of twenty-five to thirty category because for the first, those aren't great pitchers, a lot of them, um, and there's more risk there that they're going to lose their jobs and at the top but i just never want to pay you know in, in in labor and tout people were paying like 20 bucks for closers and uh and that's more than i paid for my starting pitcher so <laughs> uh, i just couldn't i can't i can't bring myself to do that i understand that it's your closer against my closer and so therefore uh closers can have more value sure. because it's di- we're comparing different pools we're not necessarily comparing you're closer to my starter in terms of uh, impact on the on the team, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, I I just they're so fickle. They lose their job about thirty percent of the time, um, and uh, and there's really no great rhyme or reason to to predicting who's going to get the job and who's going to steal it away. But I think in Robertson's case, he has all the skills you want. He has the velocity. He has the strikeout rate. Um, he's been great for a while, so. Uh, I, I'm all over Robertson. And, and if you look at the rest of the pen, there's no obvious guy. Sean Kelly, I think, might be um, an interesting uh, handcuff because um, he's he had, like, the best strikeout rate in the league last year. Um, and, um, you know, as for platoon splits, he told me he has two two different sliders and he uses, he uses uh, you know, one against lefties, basically. So I think, um, you know, he's, he uses a the more up-down one against against lefties, more like a curve. But in case, uh, I like Sean Kelly, but I don't like him enough to, to downgrade Robertson at all. Here's the thing, what kind of fascinates me about Sean Kelly. So he had a 23.7 strikeout rate in 2012 with a 28.2% swing and miss rate. His swing and miss rate went up a tad to 29.9 in 2013, but his strikeouts jumped eight full percentage points, up to 31.3. Usually when you see that kind of jump, there's a bigger swing and miss, but he actually he ended up getting more strikes looking because he induced fewer swings in 2013, but got a lot more strikeouts. So it's really, you know, he was part of that whole mix of, you know, Steve Delabar getting traded away from Seattle, Sean Kelly getting traded away from Seattle, but Danny Farquhar going from the Yankees to the Mariners. So it's like they, they essentially swapped... Farquhar for Kelly, and both guys have breakout strikeout seasons the following season. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I noticed in Kelly's usage um, is that it took until the latter half of 2013 for him to finally just start throwing the slider more than his fastball. <laughs> um, so, so he's going uh, on Luke Gregerson on us. Yeah, I think he's really Luke Gregerson. In fact, that's how I opened the conversation with Kelly. It was like, you know, Lou Gregerson told me he has multiple sliders, and Kelly was like, oh, yeah, I'm all over that. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, it is a little bit weird when you have a guy who pitches backwards. Um, but I think I'd be more worried about it. I mean, like, it's worked pretty well for, uh, for uh, Gregerson over the years. And Kelly, uh, I'm just waiting 
to make sure that I'm correct on this. Uh, Kelly has much more velocity, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, he's he's like 93. Gregerson's closer to 90. So, uh, you know, Gregerson with more velocity is great. It isn't someone that the Padres have ever, um, you know, really trusted to close, uh, which might be relevant or might not. It's a, it's a one-person sample size. Right. Uh, Romo, I guess, makes the sample size uh, bigger. Romo is a is a, a slider first guy with iffy platoon splits who's worked on his changeup this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Romo's uh, finally closing. I think, you know, sometimes people worry about their elbows, and I think they're between Romo and Gregerson, there have been some tender elbow moments um, in their past. Yes. Um, so... You know, but that's, I mean, is that really a concern when you're, when you're thinking about who you're going to install as closer? He might get injured. I mean, <laughs> everybody might get injured. Yeah, true. I, mean, I think the, the takeaway here is this job is David Robertson's. I, I don't, I'm not even concerning myself with drafting a handcuff here. I don't think yeah. the Yankees, you know, when they, when they yanked him out of the role in 2012, it's because they had Rafael Soriano. They don't have that kind of guy. I don't know, you know, Kelly's control rates aren't that great. I don't know if you just, you know, take out Robertson, you put in Kelly, and then maybe you go back to him. It, you know, Dellen Batances is adding a, a slurve to his bag of tricks this year. You know, maybe that helps him at some point. But I think David Robertson gets a lot of leash in this role. And I think he's going to do well. And right now he's being drafted as a top 10 closer. I, I think that by the end of the season, he could have top six fantasy value in that role when it's all said and done. It's a nice situation for him. You know, they'll be playing in the types of games they're going to utilize him. They've given up, they've had a lot of faith in him in the eighth inning. Now, now the opportunity's there again, he has already gone through it once. So he knows what he's getting into. And I, I think there's some nice value here. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, by, by Robertson, he might be one of the best Yankees in terms of, uh, uh, price to, to outcome, uh, ratio. I mean, McCann, I think, is a good sleeper. Um, uh, not sleeper. Duh. I mean, a good pickup uh, for his price. And uh, you know, the days of the Yankees being overvalued might be might be gone because uh, this isn't a team of, of stars anymore, and they have enough warts that um, you know you can find value in here. Agreed. All right, that's it for our team wrap-ups. All 30 of them are completed. Uh, if we did not get to a particular White Sox or Yankee that you want us to talk about, please let us know in the comments. We'll be more than happy to answer them. Again, next uh, next podcast, we will be focusing on pitching, talking about the new pitch article that I wrote uh, that went up on the site today and anything that uh, you know gleans from his interviews while he's out in Arizona. If you have any other requested topics, let us know, and we will get to those. Thanks for your uh, votes on iTunes and everything, and talk to you guys next next time. Thanks for listening.